I've recently grown in my knowledge about James Garfield, the 20th president of the United States. I uh, come to learn that the county in which I grew up was named after uh, Mr. Garfield, President Garfield. I so admire the way he moved, grew up in Ohio, went from abject poverty to becoming the president. He uh, had a tremendous intellect while he was a member of Congress. He uh, wrote an original uh, proof of the Pythagorean theorem, uh, quite amazing. He was a Civil War general uh, fighting and leading troops for the Union Army uh, during that uh, great conflict. Uh, he was one as a congressman and president who promoted freedom and rights for former slaves and even at his inauguration, uh, the well-known orator Frederick Douglass was uh, one of the few people on the platform with him that day. As much as I admire and have come to admire and respect and been inspired by uh, President Garfield, his life still doesn't reach through history and grab hold of me. Uh, I've read a lot about different people in history. I enjoy that sort of reading. But none of those lives have the ability to reach through time and capture my life, except for one. Save one, and you know the name. His name is Jesus. Jesus really is the life in all of history who's able to reach through the corridor of time and grab hold of a human heart to affect us and to affect change in us, to hold us. And here's the reason why. It's because he is not just some curiosity in the pages of history. Jesus is different than any other life who's ever lived because he still lives even 2,000 years later. Our whole faith is based on the reality of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. And because that is true, he has uh, the, the capacity and the authority over my life because um, I have welcomed him. And I know many of you have too into your life. Jesus reaches through and my life has been changed because he has reached through history to grab hold of me. And I know he's done that for many of you, that he's grabbed hold of your life. And because Jesus lives, we are able to face tomorrow. Because Jesus lives, our lives are filled with hope and a sense of a, 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 a confident future. Because Jesus lives, God's light shines forth. Now we live at a time, of course, when... There's a lot of gloom and a lot of darkness in our world. But it's into such darkness that the light of God shines forth through the darkness. God's light is seen. In fact, the Bible is filled with this imagery. In fact, the very first verse of the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 the, the Bible describes the earth as being formless and shapeless and darkness covering it. And you know what the first word God speaks in the Bible? It is, let there be light. And you know what happened? Light emerged into the dark places. God's light shines into our 21st century world. We need light in the midst of wildfires that are raging around the Bay Area. Presently, in the midst of the COVID crisis and all of the ripple effects that that has caused, in the, the, the face of the pain surrounding racial injustice and fear that, that continues in our country in many places, 
for the economic worries that are facing many people, for educational logistics during this time of COVID-19, we need to remember that Jesus is the light and guide of our lives. Jesus is your light. In the first century Roman world, into the world that, that Peter, he is our author today. If you want to open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1, I invite you, Second Peter chapter 1, into the first century world. We have this Roman life that is filled with decadence and cruelty and injustice and oppression. Our writer Peter, whom God spoke through, points us to the gospel message and the light that it brings of God into the world, into the darkness of our experiences. We're going to read from Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 3. The Bible says that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Living God, I pray that in these moments together as your word is opened before us, that it wouldn't just be pages open, but your spirit would speak and that our ears would be opened and our hearts would be receptive to you, God. We pray now in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. This passage provides some insight for us into spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is what this passage is guiding us to. It's one of the values of Tiburon Baptist Church that we are promoting and, and hoping to adopt here in a few weeks. It's uh, the third of the values that we have focused now in this series uh, that we've titled Going Forward. And in the midst of such confusing times and uncertain times, I could think of no better rallying cry for our church than to promote a new vision that helps center us in the presence of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, and in the life that He calls us to together in the church. And this value today, we, we talked about God's extravagant love two weeks ago, and then last week, I'm so grateful for Pastor Steve and his help in helping us center ourselves in what it means to be wholehearted worshipers. But today, today we focus on lifelong growth. And here's the value as the Leadership Council has uh, uh, laid it out. Lifelong growth. What, what Tiburon Baptist Church wants to, to value so deeply is lifelong growth, becoming increasingly like Jesus, 
by spending time with him, his word, and his followers, becoming increasingly like Jesus by spending time with him, with his word, the Bible, and with his followers. Here's what we're going to unpack today out of our passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. Number one is we're going to look together at, at God's empowering presence, that God is the one who empowers salvation. God is the one who makes a relationship with him possible and provides a lasting and hope-filled future. So we're going to talk first about God's empowering. Then we're going to talk about your effort, your effort and mine, and, and the, the responsibility and the participation that we have to, to walk with God, to follow Him, and to invite Him to make the change, to, to bring about the change in our lives that we so desperately need, and how that then e- equals for us lifelong growth. God's empowering plus your effort equals lifelong growth. Let's unpack each of those for a moment. Uh, God's empowering. We, we read in the first few verses that it is God's divine power that allows us to participate in the divine nature. These are some really interesting concepts for us in that we get to participate in, in this relationship, in, in the purposes of God. Kevin Bacon, the actor, was once interviewed and he was describing how his six-year-old son... Um, uh, was asking him about one of his most well-known movies. You may have seen it, called Footloose. Uh, Footloose came out years ago, and his six-year-old son was asking him, as after he had watched it, he, he said, Dad, he said, you, you know when you're swinging on the rafters uh, in the movie in that building? He said, how did you do that? And Kevin Bacon said, well, I, I actually didn't do it. He said, it was a, a stunt double. And his son said, looked at him and said, what's a stunt double? And Kevin Bacon replied, said, well, it's somebody who dresses in clothes like mine and does things that I cannot do. And his son kind of looked a little confused and left the room. And a little bit later, he comes back and and he says, Dad, you know in the movie when you're swinging on that gymnastics bar and you land on your feet, how did you do that? And Kevin Bacon kind of sheepishly scratches his head and says, well, I I didn't do that. That was a gymnastics double. And... uh, his son looks at him quizzically and he says, well, what's a gymnastics double? And Kevin Bacon said, well, it's somebody who dresses in clothes like mine and does something that I cannot do. And his son looks at him and he says, well, Dad, what, what did you do in the movie? <laughs> and his dad says, well, I guess I just got all the glory. And that's just what grace and God's grace is a lot like for us. Is that Jesus is taking on, taken on flesh it's what we, we describe in the incarnation. He, he has come into the world. He's taken on our clothes. And he's come to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. Something we desperately need done. And that's dealing with the sin problem that separates us from God. But he does it because we cannot do it for ourselves. And that's just what the gift of grace is all about. In fact, Romans 1.16 says that uh, Paul writes to that church in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is uh, the power of God unto salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel that Jesus came uh, as God in the flesh. He came to live a perfect life. He, he died a, a humiliating death on the cross And and in that death, he absorbs the sin of the world upon himself. 
And in the resurrection from the dead, he validates that he is able to actually remove our sin and and to remove the obstacle that, that opens up a relationship with the living God. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You see, we live in a world where there's still so much self-help promoted, uh, whether it's uh, on bookshelves or on Amazon or uh, other seminars and classes where help yourself to improve and improve. And, And you might learn some helpful tips for your life about navigating various aspects of your living. But here is there's constantly a deficient quality about self help. Uh, instructions for us and that that we're not given power to actually do the things that we want so desperately done. That's the difference with what God does. He he is the one who empowers you and me to live godly lives. It is God's divine power through what Jesus has done that opens up the possibility to live in the kingdom, to live our lives in the power of His Spirit so that sin no longer has claim over our lives, but Jesus Christ does. So that the patterns of sinful living no longer have claim over us to dominate us. Jesus now has set us free. It's that that the the, uh, desire to fall into temptation and sinful patterns no longer dominates our living but instead we have been set free to follow the living Christ. Jesus, in your daily life, empowers you, the Bible says, to rise up out of the corrupted world so that your life can live and your life can resonate and and resemble what godly living is all about. That's what these first several verses of this passage are describing. It's God's empowering presence doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves but when we think about spiritual growth that that's salvation god's empowering and providing for salvation that's what he does and he alone does for us but as we grow in our faith as we grow up in the lord jesus it does require your participation with god it requires your effort to see the presence of God made, made full in your life. You see, we must cooperate with the leading of God. Dallas Willard um, used to say that grace, God's grace, is opposed to earning, not to effort. And I've chewed on that statement for several years now, that God's grace is not, a, it, it's opposed to earning. You cannot earn God's grace, but it's not opposed to effort in the sense that, that we align ourselves with God. We, we take certain practices to prioritize things in our life so that God's grace can be active and activated in us. I hope that makes sense to you. Here's what I mean. The, the Bible says, I want to be really careful here because I don't want to give you the impression that your effort somehow wins you favor with God because That's not what the Scripture says. But we are told in 2 Peter that we are to make every effort to see and to put ourselves in position where Jesus can do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. But it takes effort on our parts to position your life so that He can do in you 
what you need and what he desires to do. I hope that makes sense. Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded this, that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is, I hope you see in that verse that it is God's empowering of of a relationship. He is the one, he and he alone, is the one who initiates and makes possible your ability to relate to God. And what I'm talking about, what I believe Peter is referring to when he says make every effort then to grow, to see characteristics of Jesus be developed in your life, it, it, it is a way of positioning yourself in a posture, a daily posture that, that anticipates God's presence. You, you welcome the presence of Jesus into your day, into your life, into your relationships, into your conversations, into the, the way that you think about money, into the way that you would spend your time. It, it allows Jesus to, to infuse every part of you. But it takes effort to organize your life in such a way that these become patterns for you of settling into the presence of God. You see, our effort, your effort to grow in the grace of God, it requires reflection about your life. It, it requires a willingness to sit and to, to allow God to examine your life and to be open to the things He might point out to you. It, it, it requires lots of conversations with God. This is what we're trying to describe when we talk about prayer. And these conversations, sometimes they can be encouraging, keep going, God's Spirit says to you. Sometimes they can be convicting. You know, Bryce, you're doing something right now that you shouldn't be doing. You're doing something that's fruitless. Put your name in that sentence. This is something that God may want to be convicting you about. But it's always purifying. Your times with God are always purifying. It, it requires asking Jesus to mold your mind, to mold your affections in the world. It requires Scripture to reveal God's heart and purposes and His ways. You see, the Scripture, there, there are some simple ways to look. The, the Scripture has lists of virtuous living, things that, that are encouraged in our Christian life, and also vicious living. And the idea of vices that we are to avoid and to turn away from and it requires people. This, to, to engage your effort, it requires your willingness to connect yourself with other people. This is why we are called together to worship regularly and to not neglect that. That's why we're called to, to be together in groups, um, in a sense, in, in some sort of grouping way, so that we can be growing with each other and learning how other people are applying the truths of, of their walk with Jesus and learning from them and being part of how God would, would help teach and grow them through your life. But that requires a willingness to be rubbing up beside people. That's why we, we often go to the Proverbs where it reminds us that iron, just like iron sharpens iron, there's this rubbing effect, this sanding effect, this uh, uh, sort of healthy wearing that, that rubs and rubs and rubs for a good purpose. That's what one life does to another. And so it requires your effort to continually connect your life to other people in the church 
so that God can do some things in your life as he works through others who you've given yourself to. So let's go back to our little uh, mathematical uh, expression here. God's empowering plus your effort equals lifelong growth. God's empowering plus your effort equals lifelong growth. What we mean by that in our, our value statement is it's growth to becoming like Jesus. And that's just what we say, becoming like Jesus by spending time with him in his word, the Bible, and with his followers being with his people. The result, as Peter says, is that we live lives that are effective and productive in the spiritual realm, effective and productive in the realities of life because our knowledge of Jesus is growing. Here's what he says in verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying is that over time, your character over time, as you have spent time, it doesn't happen by accident. There is no osmosis learning uh, in our Christian life. It requires your engagement in the purposes of God to arrange your life and to give effort to putting yourself before God so that He can do in you what He wants to do. That's what we're talking about. Over time, your character then becomes molded to resemble Jesus. And Peter gives a list of areas that demonstrate what this godly living looks like. There are other lists that Paul would give in other parts of the Scripture. But Peter goes on to say, this is one way that you and I can confirm God's salvation in us, that you are spiritually growing. Sister and brother, I want you to hear me now. Because I've been around people who have claimed to uh, uh, have had a salvation experience in Jesus many, many years ago. And without judgment, but just an observation of life, it's hard to see, and it's hard to hear, and it's hard to discern any evident growth of their life. And so God is giving us this scripture, at least in part, for us to know that if that we are to be people who are growing, people where Jesus is touching our inner life so that he can be more and more visible in us to the world around us. That's what he desires so that the gospel message through your life as you're growing in your faith through a church that's growing together in its faith, then the gospel, because it's evident in these various lives, becomes a light into the darkness of the world around us. It requires spending time with Jesus. Lifelong growth is this for our church. It's spending time with Jesus and growing over time with Him, with His Word, and with His followers. So the question I want to end with this morning has a few facets, but it's the same question. The question is this, are you arranging your life for lifelong spiritual growth? Is that something you're prioritizing in your life? If you're watching this worship service, then you've obviously been guided to do that, and that's a really good 
part of what it means to regularly be arranging your life because you cannot substitute worship. God designed worship to help spur your growth together with others uh, in faith. Do you have regular habits in your, your daily life of reading the scripture and praying and uh, it just it, it is so important and you cannot uh, diminish its importance and value in your life. Do you connect yourself to a small group of people in the church, whether it's Sunday morning Bible study, a home group, uh, TBC, we're preparing to inject new life into our group uh, structures in the months to come. And that also is an outflow of our new vision. It's to uh, help create new groups over time uh, for the church. So if you're not part of a group uh, in, in a few months, you're going to be hearing about additional groups that are going to be forming and to help us better fold in new people to the church as we have a process uh, that's being laid out now uh, for starting new groups regularly. God desires to grow your life. It's God's power don't be confused it's not your power to roll up your sleeves and to grit your teeth and to force change in your life the effort that it requires is to get on your knees before the lord and to do it regularly to position yourself and to expect and to welcome god into your life to touch and to transform and to grow you so that over time over time, you see Jesus coming out of you more and more because your personality is becoming more like His. Your personhood is touched and shaped into the fullness of Jesus. And God, this is our prayer today, that you would be welcomed in our life, that you would do your work in my life, it's easy for me to think about other people that I wish you would work in. But God, today, I place myself before you anew. And I ask you to work in my life. Because even this passage in Peter says that if, if we find ourselves not growing in faith, it's as if we're nearly blind because we've forgotten where we have, from where we have come. We've forgotten the sin that you've cleansed us from. So God, if there's anything in my life today that is stunting my growth, would you alert me to it and, and whatever part I need to play in removing it out of my life, God, would you break its hold on my life so that I can be free to grow in you for the rest of my life. I don't know how many years you've given me yet to come. I, I think it'll be quite a few, but I don't know. It could be tomorrow. I might have 50 more years ahead of me. But I want every year that comes, every new year that passes, to be richer than the one before it. Not because I have more wealth and not because I have a bigger house or a better job. Richness in you, God, comes because I am growing to reflect more and more of Jesus. And God, I'm at the front of the line of one who confesses I need more growth. I need more growth. I need to reflect the reality of Jesus in my life. But I don't do it on my own. My effort is in positioning myself before you on my knees and 
happily welcoming you, beseeching you to do your work in me so that your power is unleashed in me. God, may that be true for each one of us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask it together. Amen.